I made my um, I announced the um, I made my announcement on Instagram, and I made my decision the night before I made the announcement. And as far as why I chose the Dodgers, um, there's not really one reason. There's a lot of reasons, and I met with a few teams at the end of the whole negotiation process. And honestly, every team I met with and I had a chance to talk to, they were all great, and it was really, really a tough decision for me. But at the end of the day, um, I had to choose one team, and and Dodgers were my choice. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse. Let's see what the Cubs and Sox are doing in the offseason on Sports Radio 670 The Score and always live on the free Odyssey app. That's Shohei Otani via a translator at his introductory press conference welcoming him to the L.A. Dodgers. We are back on Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The Score broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And time for our first guest of the show, Bruce. And we're uh, pleased to jump on out to the guest hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. Franklin Park's own Ned Coletti, the professor, as I call him, uh, jack of all trades and master of many, uh, the former general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and great friend, nice enough to take some time on a Saturday morning, Mike, to join us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Ned. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing excellent, gentlemen. Good to be with you both. Thank uh, you for having me on. Obviously, Otani and Yamamoto is dominating the sports scene, let alone the baseball scene out there. Having been the de- general manager for the Dodgers for many years and in baseball for a big portion of your life, your perspective of this um, – of these signings as a baseball fan first and a general manager second? Well, as a, as a baseball fan, I think it's um, in some, some cities it's like, how are we ever going to compete? As somebody who follows the Dodgers for the last 17, 18 years after working there that long, um, you know, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by the process. I'm not surprised by the outcome I told uh, Bob Nightingale, the great writer from USA Today, about two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, that they were going to sign these two pitchers, and or, you know, pitcher, hitter, and, and Otani's case, and they'd get another starting pitcher. That's how they think. That's how Mark Walters, their, their uh, primary owner, that's how he does business. So kind of, uh, you know, if you're in a smaller market town, you wonder how are we ever going to compete if you – follow teams like this, you, you go, yeah, that's, that's par for the course as a GM, um, as a GM that would have to compete against that. I know I'm competing against not just dollars, but really how the organization works. When you talk about both these players and even last night, who came over in a, in a deal from Tampa and then signed a long-term deal, you know, they respect how the Dodgers operate. They respect the ownership. They respect the front office. They respect the manager, the, the teammates. So they're drawn to that. The offers for Otani were not just from the Dodgers at that level. Same thing with, with Yamamoto. Offers were the same. So it's really a pick of maybe stadium, weather, but also you've got a team that's won 10, 11 in a row. You know, they they know how to win. And so I think you, you have to – you have to respect that from a general manager's figure out the standpoint. And if that's not you right now, you got to figure out how you get there. Yeah, Ned, that's the thing with the Dodgers. And we see a lot uh, on our lines here at the score and, and nationally, you know, the Dodgers have become the new 
you know, evil empire, call them what you want. The team like that used to be the Yankees back in the day that would, you know, lavish huge dollars on free agents. But the Dodgers also have, and, and to me, this is good for the game, right? They have huge resources, but they're putting those resources back into the team. And they also happen to be an extremely well-run organization. No, no question. They, they do very well with every aspect of the business side and every aspect on the player side. And what they did with the Otani, I mean, it was so interesting. The amount that they are saving based on $70 million a year going out versus the deferral system that, that he allowed them to do, that is almost the exact number that Yamamoto signed for, to, you, to your point, Mike, that they, they said, hey, you know, he said the first 68 and use it. And they said, we'll use it. We'll sign one of your countrymen who's the best pitcher on the market. So they actually, with the deferral, ended up getting Yamamoto for for the same amount of money as they would have paid uh, Otani for himself. So it's, it's it's thought process like that, and the way they operate, they're going to owe Otani six hundred and eighty million from year eleven to year twenty. They will make more than that on that deal alone in marketing and in global reach in the 10 years that he pitches. They'll make more than they're going to owe him. I promise you that. Not to mention, Ned, uh, the fact that this guy's going to make 50 to $100 million a year on the side, right? Yes. His side job's going to pay him as much. So with that in mind, uh, you know, don't, don't feel bad about him making only $2 million a year until he gets to his other uh, $68 million. Ned Coletti, the former general manager of the Dodgers, a longtime baseball person, also a scout for the San Jose Sharks, and a professor at Pepperdine University. Uh, Ned, for a guy that's not in baseball anymore, you stay very busy, very, very busy. I, w- I want to know when you um, you, you look at the uh, economics of the Dodgers and how that works against the other teams, when you know you're getting $300 million, I'll repeat, $300 million a year, from your TV deal alone, what type of flexibility does that give Friedman and and Walters? Uh, you know, from his perspective, as they look at team and they look at the, uh, you know, not going over uh, the luxury tax and all that. I mean, do they just basically ignore that as they move forward? Well, I, I think that in the past they've, they've tried to stay under it, and I think they definitely tried to stay under it a year ago. Then the Trevor Bauer decision came down. And, you know, they, they couldn't stay under it. So they, they try to be responsible, but at the same time, as responsible as they are, and they wouldn't be as successful as they are if they weren't responsible. Getting, they've lost their last six playoff games. They right. got swept by Arizona, did not lead for an inning against a team that they dominated for most of the last decade. They lost the last three games a year before that to San Diego, another team that they have dominated for at least the last, for most of the last decade. So when you, you combine, okay, we've been, we've been frugal, we've been wise with our money, even though our payroll is always at the top, but compared to what we bring in, we're, we're, we're somewhat frugal, but we've also won all these games, but we've also not won the World Series since 2020 in the shortened season. And the compete of, of Mark Walter, again, is at the highest level. Anything he wants to accomplish and I've known him for, I don't know, 10, 12 years now. He gets done. And so 
you know, they, they don't just throw the money away. They, they think about what they're going to do. They, they have a plan. Probably the Otani plan was probably two years in the making from a marketing and a revenue generational approach. So other teams can do this too. Do they have the reach of the Dodgers and, and the, the brand of the Dodgers? Not necessarily, but other teams can do what the Dodgers do. If you have the money and you can show that you can, you can fund it, which the Dodgers are going to do with a deferral. Other teams can do it too. Most choose not to get involved like this. So it's not just the Dodgers might, it's also the Dodgers spirit that they will get involved at this level. They'll be creative. They'll do things that, that shock the industry financially, but they're probably not the only team that could do it, but they also have a foundational aspect that most franchises don't. And that is how good they have been and how good they continue to be and their drive for success. They just don't talk about it. Every, every team in baseball is talking right now, we're going to be better, we're going to compete, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They all talk about it, but hardly any of them really do it. And you know it as well as I. Yep, talking to Ned Coletti here on Inside the Clubhouse. And Ned, uh, another Dodger connection that I wanted to ask you about. Although he played for the Cubs last year, he re- he's probably the best remaining free agent bat out there. It's Cody Bellinger, and he had a great uh, rebound season last year coming off of a few injury-plagued uh, seasons uh, at the end of his Dodgers career. But as you look at Belly, as you look at what he was able to do with the Cubs last year combined with his pedigree, and obviously you saw him up close for a number of years there in L.A., where do you see the rest of Belly's career going? Do you think he can replicate what he did last year for the long term? Well, he's, he's somebody that uh, we drafted in the fourth round when I was, was the GM. And somebody who I always, his, his compete and his ability to adjust was the best I had in a, a minor league system that produced quite a few great players. I think what he went through before going, going to Chicago last year, a lot of it was injury. And he, he seemed to struggle trying to figure out Okay, at the plate, what is my, you know, what approach am I going to use? Where, where are my hands going? Where's my, you know, what am I going to load? What am I going to do this? What am I going to do? A lot of confusion almost. What lies ahead for him? If he's healthy, he's a, he's still, I mean, he's not even 30 years old yet, I don't think. So you've got a relatively young free agent, but he's also got Scott Boris as the agent. So you're never going to get a discount, okay? You know, you'll pay something over a, a hundred cents for the dollar. How much over? We'll find out, I guess. But, you know, and that's not, that's not Cody's fault. Cody can play. Cody can play the outfield, gold glove. He can play first base. He can hit in the middle of the lineup. He can produce runs. But you are going to, you know, if, if you read, if you can believe what you read, you, you're going to pay a premium for that skill set. If you're up to it, you go for it. You, know, you paid a, They paid a premium for Otani. They paid a premium. A premium, uh, you know, the other day too. So, you know, in LA, that's what you're going to have to do to get him signed. But he's he's a very capable player, middle of the order bat, run producer, and a great defensive player, and can run the base as well. There's not a whole lot of people that got the entire package last year. Big bounce back year. I think he's, I think he's still going to have a very very good career. MVP quality, probably not. Good career, very good career, probably in that mix. But uh, you will pay for it. Ned, uh, believe it or not, uh, the Cub Convention will feature the 
40-year anniversary of the 1984 Cubs. And as we know, you were a big part of the ground floor of Dallas Green's building a new tradition as a media relations person and director and then moving on to baseball ops. What are the things when I say 1984 and Cubs that just jump out at you initially? Goodness, uh, I get flooded with thoughts on it. I think about the trade Dallas made the spring training for Gary Matthews and Bobby Dernier. Um, gave us a leadoff hitter. Bobby Dernier had yet to establish himself, really, in Philly. And, um, you know, I start there. Then I think about Eckersley and Buckner getting swept, swapped for each other in the first couple of days of May. And then the big trade to bring in Sutt. Uh, and a team that, can, that just got better and better and better. Then you have the ending to it which is like, you know, the thing that, that pains you. Um, most of the people that have worked in sports for as long, long as I have, we remember the losses more than we remember the victories. That's crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's true. You know, yeah. and, you know, I, I think about going to San Diego. I needed one win to get to the World Series, best of five LCS, and we get swept. And the momentum, inning by inning, kept going San Diego's way. In game five, we got a lead. We got a three to nothing lead. And it just dissipated, you know, for a bunch of reasons we need to get into here. But it was just, you know, you, I remember the defeats. I remember, you know, the plane ride back. I remember going to, you know, from the stadium to the airport, the whole, you know, drudgery. I think Walter Payton that day in Chicago may have set the rushing record. Yes, he the did. Same day. So, you know, I mean, but you remember the losses. But I also had great friends from that team, including. Sut, who I still stay in touch with, one of the all-time greats. And Rhino, who I have a little conversation with from time to time, and I used to see Sarge all the time. But it really took Chicago by storm. It was the first team since 45 that they had that went to a postseason. And that's a long drought, too. Yeah, I remember uh, Pittsburgh with 6,000 people in the stands, and most of them being Cub fans. And, of course, uh, as you said, the, the, the first and only – team plane ride I was ever on was that yeah. return from San Diego. And I remember oh, <laughs> I, I remember the buses as we're getting out of net, the buses as we're getting out of the stadium there uh, and, and people pounding on the buses as we were going out, you know, San Diego fans. And then, oh, the, yeah. and then the, and then the plane ride was, you know, when people say you could hear a pin drop, that is yep. certainly what it was, except for Sarge saying, hey, nobody died here. Well, a lot of hopes died that day, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, going into the stadium for game three, the fans were the same way. Think about San Diego and Southern California being laid back. Mm-hmm. We were driving in. The team was driving in to play game three, and fans were banging on the side of the bus and throwing stuffed teddy bears <laughs> under the wheels of the bus. You know, it was like, what, what happened to this place? Kind of quiet, sedate. Nope, they were on it. Yeah, it was It was an amazing time, and uh, uh, we established an amazing friendship uh, all those uh, years ago. Uh, Ned, uh, Mike and I certainly appreciate uh, the time, as always. Uh, we could go on and on. I guess in closing with you, I'm going to ask you, where do you think the state of the game is? And now, after chopping 35 minutes off of games last year for Major League Baseball, is it is it going to be a, a, a renaissance for baseball? Are they going to go back to being what they were? Does, 
does this make the, the sports so much more watchable going forward? Well, it does, but I think your your question is to be determined. Um, you know, it, it kind of breaks my heart to to see um, the generation that I teach. Okay, I'm teaching people 18 to 22 years old. When I discuss players that retired 10 years ago, the greats in the game, they have no idea who I speak about. <laughs> and you know, they can give you the so uh, lineup for the yeah. EPL or you know or, or the NBA, but they can't. They can't do it. So do they bring their kids back to baseball? I think the time, you know, cutting all that time off was mandatory. And I think it was a great, great move. I think they've made moves to make it more watchable. But the toughest customer to get is the one you've lost. And I I think it's to be determined. L.A. is a fantasy land. 55,000 every night. That doesn't happen everywhere. And I think it's I think it's interesting to to see how it goes. They've tried and they're trying, but they may have lost a part of a generation that will fuel the next generation one way or the other. Yeah, Ned, uh, last thing for you. And I was telling Bruce uh, this as we were prepping uh, to have you on here. As a kid growing up in the Chicago area, not having any idea who Ned Coletti was, all I knew watching the games is that Boy, Harry Carey sure loves this Ned Coletti guy because you got a ton, you got a ton of mentions on there, and it's like Ned Coletti, and you know he would do that. Had to be as a kid from the area, that had to be something special for you. Oh, it was a. He, I've had the most blessed life and career, and Harry was a big part of it. You know, you had to stay on Harry's good side, but once you got there, oh yeah, yeah, he could really, <laughs> he could really boost a career for you. He was great. I love being around him. I always had to prepare though. Now you guys talk about preparing for the show. If Harry says we're going out to have a couple couple pops, I had to prepare a couple days ahead of time because it was not going to be a short evening. Get <laughs> <laughs> a train for Harry. Well, and and as you said, you were always on his good side because you were always getting him information and always helping him out. But the reality is, we could do a whole show, Ned, a whole two hours on if you were on Harry's bad side. That would be oh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. You never, I, I saw a couple of people have that happen to him. And I thought, you know, even Dennis Eckersley, you know, remember Eck pitch sure. obviously for, for Chicago and was sitting in the dugout one day and he would go out of his way to be nice to Harry. And I said, I said, Eck, I said, that, I said, you are the nicest player to, to Harry I've ever been around. And he goes, I don't want him hooting on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harry uh, buried a few guys along the way. Ned, all the greatest uh, to you and your family in the holidays. It's it's such a joy catching up with you. Keep up the great work that you do, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you hopefully sooner rather than later. Great, good. Have a great one, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks, Ned. That's Ned Coletti. Merry Christmas to him and his family. Happy holiday season. Uh, great to talk to Ned. Always the former. Cubs PR director, former Dodgers GM, now a hockey scout for the San Jose Sharks. He's been a a scout for them for, I think, seven or eight years, uh, maybe longer since he left the the GM post, Mm -hmm. eight or nine years. Uh, Doug Wilson, the great Blackhawk, okay, uh, ran San Jose, and he knew that Ned had a a, a background as a hockey person. He was a he was a hockey writer before he went to work for the Cubs mm. back in uh, 1981 with uh, Dallas Green and our friend Bob Ibach, uh to be in the media relations department. And him and Doug struck up a, a strong relationship. They always talked hockey. And Doug realized that as smart as Ned was 
and as intelligent he was, what he brought to the game uh, in baseball, he was just as sharp when it came to hockey. Mm-hmm. And, and he hired him as a scout, and he's been there for a long time. Still lots to come here on Inside the Clubhouse. Uh, before the show is over at 11, we will talk about the uh, new rule changes coming for 2024. White Sox fans, we will continue our White Sox discussion as well. Coming up next, though, Cubs Vice President of Baseball Operations, Megan Jones, will join us. She was just promoted into that job. We'll talk to Megan next. Remy Martin and 670 The Score want to give you a chance to play hoops on the United Center Court of Dreams. Look for the Remy display at your local retailer and scan the code to enter details at 670thescore.com slash contests. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. It's Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito, and for David today, inside the clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Bellinger leads at second, Swanson away from first. And the 1-2, swinging a drive toward right center. Back goes Robert, back near the stands. That ball is gone. A game-winning home run for Chris Morrell. Can you believe it? Listen to this crowd. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse. Let's see what the Cubs and Sox are doing in the offseason on Sports Radio 670 The Score and always live on the free Odyssey app. Certainly one of the Cubs' highlights of the season, the Morrell walk-off there. Get a little goosebumps going for you in your car ride this morning. Here on uh, the day before Christmas Eve uh, on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito here with you. Quick reminder, later this afternoon, you'll be able to hear Bengals Steelers in the first game of today's NFL doubleheader. Our coverage starts at 3, kickoff at 3.30 right here on 670. The score and the Odyssey app. Time now, though, Bruce, to head on out to our guest hotline, presented by Circus Sports Illinois. The first vice president of baseball operations and strategy in Chicago Cub history. This is Megan Jones, our guest. Megan, good morning. Welcome into Inside the Clubhouse. Thank you for taking some time out on a Saturday morning to join us. Yeah, good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's get by the woman thing first. Uh, it okay. is a great thing that this has happened. It's odd that in sports and baseball in particular, it still has taken all these years for women to get to this, this level of, uh, of um, you know, leading teams and, and baseball strategies for baseball operations. Talk a little bit about your track and what you think that impact has going forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, kind of wild that this is this big of a, big of a thing, but so yeah, I started with the Cubs in 2016. And at the time I was the the only woman in baseball operations in the front office, which is kind of crazy. And that's, I'm glad to, you know, sure that that's very different now as we look heading into 2024, but I started as the executive assistant to CEO Epstein and Jed Hoyer, and I've been fortunate enough to job craft my way over the last nearly eight years to the role that I have today of a VP of baseball strategy, where I oversee a few of our different functions and get to work, work across all streams of baseball. Um, and it's definitely, you know, I, I said this to, to Megan last week, but it's, it's not lost on me that being visible in this role as a woman is a, you know, it means something. And I hope it, it shows other, you know, young girls and women in baseball and just anyone who's interested in breaking into sports that there are several opportunities. Um, 
to get in and to, you know, succeed at a high level. Megan, uh, when you talk about uh, the new position and Bruce mentioned, you, you are the first, the vice president of baseball strategy. So, and, and I know there's a, a number of things that go into baseball strategy, but what types of things, you know, for our listeners as they're listening, they're like, well, I have no idea what that is. What, what can you tell us about what that is and, and what that role is and how you pull things together internally in the front office? Yeah, absolutely. Um, baseball strategy means different things for different organizations. For us at the Cubs, my role is to create and implement strategic priorities across all of our different baseball operations streams. So I work with our scouting departments, player development, high performance, major league operations. And really I am working to just make sure that any, on any given day, at any given time, what our associates are focused on is the right thing that's going to connect to, you know, the priorities of Jed and Carter and ultimately get us closer to um, bringing another world series back to Chicago. Um, I also oversee and coordinate different strategic projects for the Cubs. So I oversee our free agent recruitment process, I do capital additions for us. I work on our complex in Arizona and the Dominican. Um, I oversee our family program and the strategy behind our Japanese infrastructure. And I oversee our executive support functions. So for us, um, I guess the easiest way to kind of sum it up is my role. And the baseball strategy department is a service center across all streams of baseball operations and really almost an internal consulting well, with, with that in mind, uh, how do you get any rest at all? And uh, how do, <laughs> how do uh, 24 hour days work for you? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like exhausting and it, it also sounds very exhilarating, um, Megan. Uh, from the perspective of baseball operations, though, I think Mike and I will want to also know um, how you can help uh, Cody Bellinger get back to being a Chicago <laughs> Cubs. <laughs> Um, that's hilarious. I will, I will defer. I will not, I will not yes. respond to that. I, that I, and it's, um, it's obviously <laughs> said jokingly, but the, the idea, yeah, the idea here is that when you hear all the things that you're involved with, um, how do you stay on top of all that? And do you have to hire a, an executive assistant to keep you floating? How many people work with you doing your job on a daily basis? Yeah, it's a great question. I think my, my favorite part of my job is I, I obviously I get to work with so many great people, but nothing that I do or see to completion, I do by myself. Like everything that I work on requires connecting multiple different people or parts of the organization. And so um, I think when I list out my, you know, quote unquote responsibilities, it is pretty lengthy, but I don't, do all those by myself. Um, and so I think right now I do have an assistant that works with me who also supports the executive function. Um, she's amazing. Her name is Elise. Um, I have someone, I have two people who work on the family program. Um, you know, there's, there's two people in particular that I'm working on the Japanese infrastructure with. So there's a number of people, um, who work on all these initiatives. And then with in baseball strategy, I will be hiring, to build out that department. Um, this is obviously a newly created department within the Cubs, and it's one that we're looking forward to investing in because it really does help the rest of our different streams um, do their jobs um, a little bit more efficiently. And so we're looking forward to continue to set this up so that we can support across across the baseball operations space. 
Talking to Megan Jones, she is the new vice president of baseball strategy for the Chicago Cubs. And uh, Megan, uh, in in talking about the front office, I know a lot of people envision just a bunch of crusty old uh, baseball guys in there, you know, talking game and, and talking strategy. But the modern front office, and and I know you are a part of the modern front office. It's very diverse. There's a lot of tech. There's a lot of analytics. There's a lot of things that are not people, you know, not things that people who are lifelong baseball fans might envision a front office being. Can you maybe take us behind the curtain a little bit and explain just how the growth of front offices has happened since just since you joined the Cubs? Yeah. Um, so our front office, yeah, our front office today, uh, December 2023, looks very different than August of 2016. Um, we have completely continued to invest in the R&D space. So we have, um, you know, multiple sub-departments underneath S and Bokari that uh, are R&D focused, you know, baseball systems, um, sports science, in addition to baseball analytics and others, we have um, probably, I want to say, 38 people who sit within the front office in Chicago right now. Um, Majority of those are R&D, but then we have our, you know, our major league ops and our minor league ops staff. We have our um, members from each of our scouting departments, but the, the office has definitely changed the representation we have in the office across um, different backgrounds, different genders, race, you know, everything is continuing to diversify, which is really exciting. Um, and so when I came on in 2016, I would say the office was definitely more modern than what I had heard baseball to be but it is just continuing to advance, which is really exciting. Megan, I'm going to ask you a tough question about the personalities and the the, the, the business side of the sport itself, and that is when uh, Jed Hoyer and uh, Carter and you and the other people first found out that David Ross was going to be replaced uh, by a new manager, um, how do you separate your emotional side of your relationship with Every someone like David Ross, who everybody loved, and the business side yeah. of uh, the front office deciding that um, going forward, Craig Council would be a better choice for now. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard. I don't think you can totally separate the emotional side, right? Like we're in the business of humans, whether it's making changes with the um, the staff that surround the team or it's making changes on the team. Like these are real people that you build real relationships with. I think Jed and Carter are really, really good at being able to look at, you know, what the organization needs to accomplish our goals and the ability to make, you know, really intentional, thoughtful decisions that set us up to succeed. And and sometimes those are really hard decisions to stomach. And I know David, I, incredible to work with, um, really, you know, really difficult to see him leaving the organization, but also there's a lot of comfort knowing that like, this was a very, very intentional strategic decision for the organization. And ultimately we're really excited to have, to have Craig and, um, there's no perfect way to eliminate the emotions in it, but, but, you know, I think we, we do our best and Judd and Carter are great examples of how to lead that way. Megan, uh, having a woman in a, in a Cubs front office is not a foreign thing for the Chicago Cubs. The job description and uh, the way that she may have had to deal with men 
back in the 1920s and 30s was probably much different for Margaret Donahue, who was mm-hmm. a Cub executive secretary back in the 20s and 30s and who probably should be in the Hall of Fame for her contribution. She was one of the first people to Absolutely. come up with the concept of season tickets. What do you know about her history and um, how uh, influential is that as you, you took this job and realized you know, where you've gone now? Yeah, Margaret Donahue has a fascinating history. We we have an award internally, actually, that we started two years ago in her honor. But she, you know, she was the first, uh, she was the first Cubs, she was the first VP in Cubs history as a woman. She was an executive secretary. She um, sounds like a woman who was able to add value in a lot of ways by just getting in and doing work that helps set others up to succeed and was very innovative. As you mentioned, she came up with the season ticket holder um, concept, which is just absolutely fascinating. And I think, you know, coming into baseball, women, women were clearly in baseball for a long time before I joined, you know, even looking around at Raquel and Jean and Kim, there's, there's a lot of really great examples. Um, and it's really cool at the Cubs that we have won internally with Margaret Donahue, who's such a historic woman in baseball. And so um, that was definitely has been an inspiration to me and is really exciting that, you know, I, I can take a lot of how I hear she operated and apply it to the way that I kind of go about trying to find ways to add value also. Last thing for you, Megan, and we really appreciate your time today. I, I read the story of how you ended up being uh, hired by the Cubs, and I think it's it's always fun to give people encouragement. Uh, I know lots of people are like, oh man, I would love to work in sports. I'd love to work for the Cubs, but it doesn't always happen. But things fell into place for you, and then of course you you made you know your name once you got hired. So can you tell us the kind of uh, circuitous? I think I just butchered that word uh, that you ended up uh, getting hired uh, at the, your first uh, job for the Cubs back in sixteen. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was right time, right place for sure. Um, but I was always a sports fan. I grew up Detroit, Michigan area. Uh, grew up listening to Tiger Radio and um, going to going to baseball games over here. And so um, I actually I had graduated college and started working in digital marketing operations. I just couldn't didn't know it was really possible to have the job I have today. Which you know, if you ask sixteen year old Megan, I'm doing exactly what I had always hoped I would be able to do. Um, but I babysat for a family for a month after undergrad before my first job started. I had a month gap and I ended up staying in touch with that family for several years and they saw me, you know, grow as a professional and long story short, they ended up, their son ended up becoming very good friends with Theo Epstein's son and he expressed to them that he was looking to fill the EA position and they were like, you got to talk to this girl. Like we know she, we know she likes, she like you know, love sports. We know her as a professional. We think she'd be a good fit. And so that's, you know, that's the way I ended up in working for the Cubs. I got connected with Theo and Jed that way and spent a few months going through the interview process. And ultimately it was a a good fit and I haven't looked back. Megan, we appreciate your time and uh, congratulate you on your promotion. But, um, Hopefully, we are uh, our next uh, interviews with you. We uh, there's no longer any big surprise about women being essential parts of baseball front offices. It's just a joke that it's taken that long. Congratulations to you and the Cubs. Have a great off season. I mean, have a great holiday season, and hopefully, we'll talk to you soon down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Um, happy holidays, and I appreciate it.
Thanks, Megan. That's Megan Jones, the new Cubs vice president of baseball operations and baseball strategy. And she kind of pulled all that together as to what that entailed. And yeah, a lot of different parts to that. As a texter put out uh, while we were having Megan on, Bruce, get by this woman thing. No, I'm not going to get by the woman thing, okay? It's important that women continue, minorities continue in baseball and sports, and, and it still has to be an initiative. But hopefully, Mike, we're getting to the point where it's not going to be over the next decade or so. It's just, uh, you know, it's ridiculous to think about, you know, the uh, gender of a person or the race of a person and their viability working in sports. Yeah, agreed completely. And uh, it was great to talk to Megan. I know a lot of the day to day beat reporters that are on the Cubs beat are women as well. And uh, uh, it's uh, certainly encouraging to hear all that. And I would also like to find out, and maybe uh, she can fill us in next time when the Cubs re sign Cody Bellinger that, that you said. Uh, we're not, not sure. I threw, her, I threw her a split <laughs> finger and uh, she followed it off with grace and style. So we thank Megan for joining us. Absolutely. And when we return, we've got one more segment here on Inside the Clubhouse. New rules. Yes, more new rules for 24. As we heard from Ned Coletti when we had him on, uh, some of them very key to the uh, future of baseball. We'll get into the details of those and uh, wrap things up here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse. Let's see what the Cubs and Sox are doing in the offseason on Sports Radio 670 The Score and always live on the free Odyssey app. Final segment of the show this morning. Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito with you. Talking Cubs, talking Sox. We've had uh, two great guests in a row, Megan Jones and Ned Coletti. Uh, Bruce, before we get out of here, though, we want to talk about some of the rule changes, some of the new tweaks to the rules for 2024. We saw a lot of them for 23 that I think went very well. But you talk about some of the new things uh, that are are coming here for next season. Absolutely. And look, Mike... um the the first one that pops out is the new base running rule where they're going to give a little extra room in fair territory for the base runner to run and not be called out for being out of the uh, the area that they're supposed to run in. I, I see this as contrary. I think it's going to create more contact between the first baseman and the runners, uh, more chances for accidents, more chances for umpires to miss plays because you're you're letting them run in that line, mm-hmm. and then they're you're expected to be, veer back uh, before you hit the base. I, I think I think it's a mistake. I, I don't I don't like this rule at all. I don't quite get it. I mean, it, like you said, it's adding 18 to 24 inches to the runner's lane. So if you picture a guy running to first, he's going to have a wider lane to run in, and that's just going to cause to me more problems. I don't understand the rationale for that rule change, I guess you would say. It's just, you know, getting out of the box the way they do and giving them the, the latitude to run out of the box, box straight and then straighten out as they, uh, as they get to the bag and, and veer over. But I, I just think it's creating a, a situation where you're going to have more injuries. I, I don't like this one. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. I, I do enjoy this one. It's another tweak on the pitch clock. They have 15 seconds with the bases empty. They're lowering it from 20 to 18 seconds with runners on base. So trying to pick it up, uh, even with runners on base, uh, they're trying, I mean, two seconds per pitch doesn't sound like a lot, but over the course of a game, it might add, what, three or five minutes less to the game? Yeah, and and again, it's it's a technical thing that baseball wants to continue, MLB hierarchy wants to continue to cut the time of game down. I find it... 
intrusive. Uh, the, the 20 seconds is great for the pitcher if nobody's on, I mean, the, the if nobody's on base. But the idea that um, you're continuing to push the pitcher, I think it's, it's a little bit unfair. You, you should have some ability to uh, set yourself if you're a pitcher and get into the next pitch. I, I just think enough's enough. They've already accomplished what they want to accomplish. The last two are these. The number of mound visits per team goes down from five to four, uh, with MLB noting that uh, there were only an average of 2.3 mound visits per game. Uh, so that is uh, one of the other tweaks. The other one, which I didn't realize this wasn't a rule, but a pitcher who warms up on the field must face a batter. I guess there were 24 occasions last season when a pitcher warmed up between innings and then was replaced before a pitch was thrown, adding approximately three minutes of dead time per event. So what they're saying is whatever pitcher was in during the last inning, if he comes out and then all of a sudden the manager wants to make a change, uh, they're they're cheating the rules and therefore uh, they're going to force that guy to pitch. So therefore they want the manager to make that change before he gets out there in the bullpen doesn't have as much time to get somebody ready. Yep. So they're they're all about trying to make things quicker. And as we heard from Ned Coletti and uh, as we've uh, seen firsthand, uh, the, the whole goal, trying to get people who were turned off by the length of games and the dead air, so to speak, in, in some of the games uh, to get more action in the game of baseball. So that this is all trying to tweak that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, um, I, I think that Time of game has been handled beautifully by Major League Baseball. I applaud them. But stop, you know, stop messing with it every year, okay? The pitchers and the hitters have a right to just settle in. Uh, I think baseball fans in general, Mike, enjoyed the fact that they could sit down and watch a game and get it over with in two and a half hours. I think it's it's just going to help the sport as they move forward. Absolutely. We are out of time for this week, my friend. It's been uh, fun doing the show. Want to thank uh, Tyler for doing a, a great job. Tyler Farringol for producing the show. Appreciate our guests, Ned Coletti, the former Dodgers GM, Megan Jones, the new Cubs Vice President of Broadcast Baseball Ops. Sorry, all of our wonderful listeners and everybody at the Score and you, Mike. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We'll be back for a New Year's program next Saturday, same time, nine to eleven. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. On our website at 670thescore.com. Absolutely. Thank you, Bruce, for that. And to our listeners, a very Merry Christmas. And we will talk to you before New Year's, so I'll save my New Year's greeting for next week. Have those New Year's resolutions ready for both the Cubs and the White Sox. Steve Rosenblum is next. Some Saturday suckage before we get into some Saturday football right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.